we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to see you all. And we are here at Friday, September 10th, 2021. And this is the final session of this week for the Torah portion of Ayelech, the second and final session of the Torah portion. We're going to cover the sixth and seventh readings of this shorter Torah portion, but it packs quite the wallop, especially given the gravity of what's at of what we're talking about, which is the last day of the physical life of Moses on this planet in a physical body. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on, a lot of um, a lot of communication, a lot of powerful themes being represented. We got the last two mitzvot of the Torah, the idea of Hakel gathering the people the year after the sabbatical year. We spoke about the sabbatical year yesterday. Then the final mitzvah is writing a Torah scroll. God steps in and God says, oh, by the way, things are not always going to be good for the people. If they turn away from me, things are going to get bad, etc. And then write this song, that will, which is the next, next week's Torah portion, Hazinu, which will serve as, a, as an oath, as a covenantal oath between me and between the people. I'm going to share my screen. Let's pick up the conversation in today's reading. Again, reading number six, just from the top. Torah reading for Vayelech. Oops, Vayelech. Reading 6, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse number 20, so we all have our bearings um, aligned. Here we go. God says, When I bring them to the land which I have sworn to their forefathers to give them, a land, yes, it is still flowing with, with milk and honey. God says, When I bring the people into the land that was promised to their ancestors, the land of Israel, the land that's flowing with milk and honey, they will listen to this. They will eat and be satisfied and live on the fat of the land. In other words, it's going to be good. They're going to be riding high. It's going to be amazing. But then they will turn to other deities and serve them, provoking me and violating my covenant. We had this from Moses. He was warning the people. Now it's coming from God as almost... It's not a prediction. You know, God is not limited by time. This is, um, this is going to happen. It's, it's in the books. Now, could, we, could it have been averted? Sure, free choice. But this is basically what God knew was going to happen, that it will be good, and then the people are going to turn away. And, and it's, it's, it's due to the success, by the way. It's due to the success. The implication is that when they get to the land, it will be flowing with milk and honey. It means it's going to be very rich, they will eat and be satisfied. Life is going to be good. Living on the fat of the land, again, this idea of, of opulence, of wealth, of just living large. And then that itself is going to provoke the straying in other territories. Because the, the way human nature works is that when things are good, we sometimes forget about priorities. We forget about what's really important. We get carried away with the wealth and the possessions and the stuff and the restaurants and the caviar and all that. We get carried away with all that stuff and we forget about what is really important. And we become self... What's the word I'm looking for? We, we, we have a false sense of self-reliance. Oh, I don't need God. I'm good. I got this. All is good. Who needs God when, when life is going well, right? So I need to serve God. I need to, to be monotheistic. Whatever, I'll worship money, I'll worship fame, I'll worship politics, I'll worship this, God, that idol, this American idol, that. 
I'm going to worship all sorts of things because who needs God? All is good. It's like the famous story slash joke about the guy who's running late for an appointment. And he's trying to find a parking spot to get to his meeting. And there's no spot. The parking lot is jammed. It's only, there's no spot. So he starts negotiating with God. Please, God, give me a spot. I'll uh, go to Shul on Saturday. No spot. I'll go to Shul this Saturday and next Saturday. I'll go for a whole month. I'll go for six months, whatever. Finally, a spot opens up. He turns to God and says, God, no thanks. Deal's off. I got a spot. That's the way it works. When, when we're in crisis mode, oh, there are no atheists in a foxhole. We pray. And when things are good, oh, it's good. Who needs God? I'm not advocating this approach. I'm just saying that's the way human nature works. And this is what God says to Moses and Joshua. If you recall from, from the end of yesterday's session, God gathers Moses and Joshua to the tent of meeting and says, let's have a powwow, the three of us, God, Moses, and Joshua. And God says, this is going to happen. They're going to go into the land that I promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll have the, everything will be amazing, better than expected. But then they're going to just go in another direction. Um, Sandrine, welcome. It's good to see you. Hey. All right. Back. Uh, hey. Pleasure, pleasure. Back inside. Back inside to verse 21. And it, will, and it will be when they will encounter many evils and troubles, this song will bear witness against them, for it will not be forgotten from the mouth of their offspring. In other words, God is saying, essentially, I told you so. When they will encounter evils and troubles, this song, and that's, again, the song is next week's Torah portion that's written like a song in the Torah scroll. It's written like a song, different, different formatting of the text. That next week's Torah portion is going to be the witness, essentially, that I, God, told you that this would happen if you go a different direction. In other words, don't, this is, let this not be a surprise it's not a punishment, surprise, you never told me. It's like, you know, you're teaching kids in class. Yeah, and uh, all right, listen, you didn't do your work in class, so you have to stay in recess and do the work. We, did, we didn't finish the work, that's it. You didn't tell us. Hold on. I have the rules printed right here. Here's the document. Here's the song. Teach it, learn it, teach it to your kids. This, no, no hidden secrets, no gotchas, no surprises. Nothing. Everything's above board, completely transparent. It's in the Torah. It's the song. Everyone's supposed to study it. Some people have a, have a custom to study it by heart. Next, the, the next week's Torah portion. It's not long. Next week's Torah portion. And it talks about, essentially, what will happen if it goes right, what will happen when it go, if it goes wrong. And, and that's we had it from Moses. We have it again from God. It's the same thing. So God is saying, when the people encounter the... The, the consequences, the evils and troubles. So they say, what happened? So this song will bear witness against them, for it will not be forgotten from the mouth of their offspring. For I know their inclination, God says, I know their inclination, what they are planning to do today. You see that? I know that they're planning, when things get good, to go the other direction, to run away from me. Even before I bring them into the land which I have sworn to give them. God says, I know what they're going to do, by the way, you, you might ask the obvious question. Well, hold on. If God knows that the people are going to ultimately rebel against Him, so then why does He even take them into the land? Why even bother? And the answer is, number one, 
Free choice means anything could happen, number one. Number two, God doesn't necessarily withhold His blessing or promise just because somewhere down the line it's going to go a different direction. Right? We have, God has the ultimate ability to, to separate things. Right now is good, and then later on will be, we'll be not so good, we'll deal with it then. There's a beautiful explanation along these lines, like exactly this explanation regarding um, Abraham's other son, Ishmael. You know Abraham had two sons? So Abraham and Sarah, the first Jewish power couple, so they couldn't have kids. So Sarah, right, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah says to Abraham, take my handmaid and be with her. Right, Hagar, 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 um, be with her and have a child, and then that child will be like mine. Well, that happens, but it wasn't her child. And Hagar, the maidservant, who was the mother, she started looking at Sarah like, you've been with him for years and no kids. I've been with him for one night or whatever it is, and I had kids. I have a kid already. So, like, clearly he's not the problem. And I'm not the problem. So she started looking at Sarah like with a bit of a, you know, she was the maidservant, but now she's like, I got something over you and whatever. So the whole relationship dynamic, it's all in the book of Genesis, the whole relationship dynamic kind of falls apart. And um, ultimately, Sarah says to Abraham, kick them out of the house. Mom and son. And Abraham is hesitant. He's like, it's my son, Ishmael. The, the, name, the child's name was Ishmael, or Yishmael in Hebrew, Ishmael in English, or the English way of saying it. Well, I should kick out my own son. So God says, listen to your wife Sarah, and uh, you got to respect your wishes, and that's it. So he says, with a, with a heavy heart, okay, you have to find somewhere else to be, and, and he, he sends them away. He sends them away. This, we actually read this on... On the high holidays, this is one of the, the readings I, I mentioned yesterday. We don't read the, the normal order of the Torah portions on the holidays. We read a related reading. This is one of the readings that we read on the holidays where um, Hagar, Hagar, the mom, and Ishmael, the son, they are now out traveling on their own. They're in the desert, and the, the boy runs out of water. Ishmael runs out of water. And... The mother is, is like heartbroken. Her son's dying of thirst. And it, that's it. She can't even look. An angel of God says, don't panic. I'm paraphrasing. Don't panic. Open your eyes. She opens her eyes. Ah, she saw that down there there was some water. Whether it was there before or not. Yeah, miracle, not miracle, whatever. But maybe she panicked. She couldn't see what was right in front of us. We talked about this. Look, we've done DPP for a while. So we've done, uh, we've certainly explored the, this, this narrative. But anyway, the short, end of the short part of the story is that the angel says, God has seen your child, Ishmael, right? He's seen your son, Ba'asher Husham, where he is. And he's going to give him water, and he'll live, and everything will be good. In other words, God has seen your child, you've been seen, he's been seen, and all will be good. But our comment, the sages comment on the phrase, Ba'asher Husham. God says, I've seen, through the angel, I've seen your son, Ba'asher Husham, where he is. And the sages comment, the commentators comment, the commentators do, that that means that God judges 
where a person is at that moment. Yes, Ishmael would be a thorn in the side of Isaac and the Jewish people. Ishmael, for many, many years, even till this very day, Ishmael, Ishmael's descendants are a thorn at the side of the Jewish people. And so how come God didn't just take out Ishmael back then and be done with it? That would have been great. Imagine if Ishmael, you know, doesn't make it. Good. Now we don't have enemies of the Jewish people. At least one genre of enemy of the Jewish people are gone. So why not? And the answer is because God judges a person where they are in that place at that time. And at that time, Ishmael was not guilty of a crime. At that time, Ishmael was an innocent boy. And thus, you're judged where you are at. So on Yom Kippur, I'm just going to relate it to Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we ask God for forgiveness. And we're very sincere. Hopefully, we're very sincere on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It's a serious day. We're serious. And we're sincere. We really have in mind that we're going to do the right things and not do the wrong things. Imagine if God said, ah, I know these guys. Yom Kippur, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, come back in three months. You're doing this, that, and the other. God says, I know what's going to happen. Therefore, I'm not going to forgive you now. That's not how it works. God forgives us, Ba'asher Husham, where we are in that moment. God doesn't open up the crystal ball and say, down the line, the person's going to renege on that commitment, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, already now I'm not going to grant them what they want. That's not how God operates. God deals with us as we are at that time, in that moment, in that space. Does that make sense what I'm saying? God deals with us where we are. God dealt with Ishmael where he was. Not what he's going to be, but where he was at that point. The same thing is true. Why did God allow the Jewish people to enter the land of Israel? Why did he give them the promised land if he knew that later on it was likely going to be or was definitely going to be that the Jews would sin and be kicked out of the land? Because God judges us, God deals with us as we are in the moment. And as they were in the moment, the Jewish people were worthy of going into the land, so God gave them the land. The fact that God knows that later on it's not going to be so good, deal with it then. But for right now, they deserve it. So that's why we find this almost paradox in the, uh, in the text. Ray, jump in. You're muted. Hold on. You're muted. Don't forget to unmute. Um. Which moment? I mean, who determines the moment? God, right? What moment? Uh, well, I'm speaking in general. Like, in general, the moment, in whatever that moment is, is when God looks at the person. So, for example, on Yom Kippur, when we ask for forgiveness, God doesn't look at 10 months down the line and say, in 10 months, are you really not going to revert back to that behavior or will you have reverted back to that behavior? God says, right now you're sincere, I forgive you. And what happens in 10 months is 10 months time. So God judges in the moment. God judged Ishmael in the moment. The fact that his descendants would be antagonists to the Jewish people for the last few thousand years, not going to deal with right now, right now, Ba'asher Husham, where the boy is, he's innocent, He's an innocent child. He needs, we're going to get him water and he'll survive. That's God deals with us in the moment. 
The same thing is true with the Jewish people entering the land of Israel. God dealt with that generation in the moment, not looking out a few hundred years as to where they would devolve into idolatry and immorality and even murder. God is not, not looking at that at the moment when he led them into the land of Israel. God says, right now you're deserving. That's it. Donna, yeah. <clears throat> what are we to think of today that we're in exile? How does God looking at us today? Yeah, that's what the Rebbe said. Every day that we're in exile, it's basically like the temple is being destroyed today. In other words, the fact that, that Mashiach is not here means that we haven't yet done what we need to be doing. Because if it would be done, we would have Mashiach. So essentially... And the Rebbe, there's a famous talk that's recorded. It was a weekday talk, not a Shabbat or holiday talk, where the Rebbe cries. I mean, it's just, it's, it breaks your heart to hear how impassioned and how like personal the Rebbe took this. The Talmud says, whoever does not see the temples rebuilding, it's like they're witnessing its destruction. So the Rebbe said, imagine if today you saw the temple burning. In front of your eyes, would you not do anything and everything in your power to stop the fires? To reverse the situation? You would, in Yiddish, karavelt. Karavelt means you would turn over the world. You would do whatever it takes. So the Rebbe said, karavelt heint. Turn over the world today. Because it's happening today, essentially. It's like, it's such a powerful, I mean, it's like, it's... So what's the point? The point is that we're judged as we are, right? For better or for worse. So if we're not yet meriting Mashiach, it means we don't yet merit Mashiach. Please God, by the end of today, that will have changed because we believe Mashiach can come every day. We anticipate Mashiach's arrival, right? Hope you guys have your bags packed and uh, ready to go. It says great, great tzaddikim would have a little bag packed, you know, ready to go. Mashiach. That's it. The land of Israel. Land of Israel, yeah. But Israel's going to spread. It's a little complicated. All right, whatever. The, we don't have to be too concerned about the logistics. It's not, not, not oh yeah, I hate moving, traveling, us oh, for the birds. <laughs> none of the logistics, none of the negative logistics need apply. It's only going to be a positive experience. But the point is like this, that God tells Moses and Joshua in this private powwow that we're privy to through the Torah, God says, I know it's going to happen. It's not going to be good. Write the song. Next week's portion, write the song. Let it be plastered everywhere. You know, put it up for all to see, for all to learn, for all to sing. If it goes well, it goes well. If it goes not well, it goes not well. That's the way it's going to be. But I'm still, I'm still taking them to the land. That's not stopping me because right now, that's the plan and they deserve it. And this is how, how everything unfolds. So just to put this back up on the screen, right? God says... In the highlighted text over here, for I know their inclination, what they are planning to do today, even before I bring them to the land, which I have sworn to give them. And as I know the way it's going to go, and still I'm going to bring them there. All right, so what happens? So Moses wrote this song on that day and taught it to the children of Israel. And again, this song literally means the Torah portion of Hazinu, next week's portion. And he commanded Joshua, the son of Nun, God, this is he with a capital H, because remember, there's a powwow. It's God, Moses, and Joshua. And God commanded Joshua, the son of Nun, and said to him, Chazak ve'emat, the same words that Moses said, Be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the children of Israel to the land that I have sworn to them, and I will be with you. God says, 
I am with you. So Moses told him that God will be with you, but hearing it from God certainly was, you can imagine, an assurance even greater. Right? Moses told Joshua, you got this, God will be with you, it's all good. But God says to Joshua directly, you got this, I will be with you, it's all good. Joshua's getting all the encouragement that he needs. And it was when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah in a scroll until their very completion, dot, dot, dot. In other words, on that day, Moses finished writing the word of the Torah, the words of the Torah in a scroll, to the end of the Torah. By the way, this evokes the question, hold on, the end of the Torah talks about Moses' passing and, the, and his eulogy. So who wrote that? The Talmud has two opinions. One opinion is that Moses, God dictated, Moses wrote it, and Moses was crying, writing about his own death. The other opinion says that God wrote it, or maybe Joshua wrote it, um, in, his, in, in, his, uh, in the aftermath of his passing. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm talking Rashi's quickly here. Ba -ba -da -ba -da. Okay, just going back a little bit, the song will bear witness against them. And I mentioned this before, but I want you to see it in Rashi, that, it, that in it I had warned them, God is saying in this song, the next week's Torah portion, I had warned them concerning all the things that are now befalling them. Consequently, when they read this song, they will not be able to claim, had we known all the evils that be, would befall us, we would not have transgressed God's word. No, you knew it and you still did it. In other words, you can't say, we never got, we never knew. I didn't know, I didn't know the consequences. We weren't warned. The warning has been warned. It's, it's written and it's supposed to be, everyone's supposed to learn it. I mean, the whole Torah, but specifically next week's Torah portion. All right. Um, ba -ba -da -ba -da. Okay. Let's continue with the seventh reading. This is the seventh and final reading. The final little bit of today's of this week's Torah portion, Ray. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When when they um, when they read the parsha in shul, do they sing it to a melody? It's read. Yeah. It's yeah. Good question. It's read with the traditional melody. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the song at the sea is read with a different song. It could be that there are some different traditions. Okay, I'll tell you Chabad, which I'm familiar with, we read it with a similar chanting tone and tune like the rest of Torah, typically. Um, it could be that others have a different, a different tradition, but I'm not familiar with that. We can look that up, you know, Google it. If, if, Rabbi? Yeah. You're right. Is the... Um... Are the Torah portions that we read daily in DPP, are they read in the afternoon service in synagogue every day? No. No, 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 no. The Torah is read, um, the Torah is read four times a week. Okay, you ready? Here we go. It's read Monday morning, Thursday morning, Shabbat morning, and Shabbat afternoon, but let me explain. On the, on the Monday morning and the Thursday morning of that, of that week, you read that upcoming, like we do DPP of that, that week's Torah portion, you read only the first reading and you divide into three small readings. Does that make sense? Imagine, so we have seven readings in a Torah portion that we do over the seven, what, seven readings. You take the first reading, divide into three parts, and that's what you read. So you only get a taste, a teaser of that week's Torah portion on the Monday morning and the Thursday morning. On Shabbat morning, you read the whole thing. The whole week? No, 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 no. On oh, Shabbat morning, that? you read the whole Torah portion of, of that week's Torah portion, all seven readings. Oh, you read it all at once. Okay. Correct. You read it all at once. But you call people up to the Torah to say a blessing. You call right. seven people up. 
one for each of the readings, and then they, there's a pause in between the readings. You know, you give the honor to different people, they, they say a blessing, and then the reader reads that, the reading one, and then reading two, three, four, five, six, seven. So again, Monday and Thursday, you read a snippet of... Well, it's a bit of a duplication from... You read, basically, you only read the first reading of the Torah portion. On oh. Shabbat, you read the whole thing, all seven readings. And on Shabbat afternoon, you read the first part of the next week's Torah portion. Are you with me? So again, if we're starting from Shabbat morning, Shabbat morning you read the whole thing of the Torah portion. Shabbat afternoon, Shabbat, I say afternoon, Shabbat evening, well, before it gets dark, like late afternoon, you'll read the first little piece of the next week's Torah portion. The next Monday and Thursday, you read again that same little piece of that week's Torah portion. And then on Shabbat, you read the whole thing. So Shabbat is a about an hour. About an hour to read. Um, I would say yeah, about an hour. Yeah, it's about an hour to read the whole thing all in. Yeah. But no commentary. <laughs> I do in shul. I used to do a little. I used to do a tidbit before each of the readings, but now with Corona and every, well, whatever with the, the since the pandemic. So when we got back to shul, we decided to do a, a bit of a st more streamlined service, start a little bit later and, you know, just kind of minimize the time that everyone's, you know, in one place. So I cut it down. Instead of seven comments, I only do three. I do on the first reading, the fourth reading, and the seventh reading. So I do one, four, and seven, and that's what I do in synagogue on Shabbat. It's really out of time constraints more than anything else. Um, but come to Shalom's Bar Mitzvah in October, and I'll probably do the whole shebang because I think we're starting a little. We're starting the regular time at nine thirty, for all time's sake, and because Bar Mitzvah. Okay. And to sum up, it's for it's for the commentary. I like it. Oh, Not thank you. For like cutting down to strip. Right. No, no. I I figured. You know, you can speak faster. We put you on a... Put me on double speed. Uh, like speed. WhatsApp. Yeah, put me on double speed. All right, this is our version of... Yeah, we'll, we'll see if I can... I have, to, I have to speak like an auctioneer. Sold. And everyone's like, what just happened? Like, don't even ask. I, I have no idea. Don't even ask. Okay, back to our story. Seventh reading. Let's jump in now um, for the final hurrah of this. So again, just to be very clear, back to Donna's question, which is a very good question as far as the structure of, of the Torah reading. So I'm hovering, you see my mouse, is it moving around? Do you guys see that? Yeah? Yes. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All seven readings are read in order on Shabbat morning, along with the Haftorah, which we, which we don't even, which we haven't even covered in DBP. So all of this is read on Shabbat morning. On Mondays, sorry, Saturday late afternoon, you only read the first reading of the next week's Torah portion. So this Saturday, we will be reading Hazinu, the song, the, but the first little bit of next week's portion. And then on Monday and Thursday of that week, you get, read only the first reading. And then on Shabbat, you do the whole thing. Okay, back to our story. Vayelech, Deuteronomy chapter 31, seventh reading, verse 25. So it was, just to get a running start here, when Moses finished writing the scroll on the last day of his life, and he gave it to, and he gave it to the Kohanim, he gave it to, the, sorry, he gave it to the, um, the Levites, the members of his tribe, it was on that day that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant, saying the following, Moses finished writing the Torah, he gave it to the Levites, and he told them, 
take this Torah scroll and place it alongside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and it will be there as a witness. So Moses finishes writing the scroll, gives it to the Levites, and says to the Levites, take the Ark, sorry, take the, the Torah scroll and place it on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? That's the box, gold, wood, gold box, with the two angelic figures from, emanating from the solid gold cover, inside of which were the two sets of tablets. So that is where God says, I want you to place the Torah scroll. And there's such a beautiful message here, as the Rebbe points out. The Ten Commandments were in the box. The Torah scroll was out of the box. The Ten Commandments represent the core. The, the Torah is the elaboration. The point is, the core is in the box. The elaboration is out of the box, but it still needs to be in proximity to the box. Are you with me? In other words, let me speak in, in very practical terms. When we do an event at Chabad, right, so it's about getting people, it's about being popular, you know, it's about uh, something that's, that is a, um, hopefully a, a, a fun and exciting event, but at the same time, it's in proximity to the core. In other words, we don't forget about what, what, the, what the core values are. It's not just, you know, we're, we're going to do an event on Sukkot called Sushi in the Sukkah, where we're going to have um, a top Atlanta sushi chef make sushi and demonstrate and teach. So is it about the sushi? Like, I'm in the sushi-making business. I should open up a restaurant. Like, what am I, what, as a rabbi, what am I doing? No, it's an opportunity. I'm just bringing you inside, inside the, uh, the thought process. It's an opportunity to gather people on the holiday before the sushi. They're going to say a blessing on the lulav and the etrog. When they eat the sushi, they're going to say a blessing on eating in the sukkah. And you're doing the mitzvahs of sukkah. And at the same time, you're also having an enjoyable evening rolling sushi and eating sushi. Open sushi bar, right? It's going to be amazing. It's a win-win. Yeah? You're broken up. Ah, where did I cut out? Where did you hear me cut out? What was I talking about? Which, what was the last? It just came out, you know, it's a fun event, but at the core is the celebration. It's of the, the, the whole point is, sushi. yeah, the whole, it's not the sushi as much as it is about the opportunity to do a mitzvah and whatever. Now, don't tell everybody mm -hmm. that. Don't ruin the fun, guys, right? Like, don't, sure, it's about the sushi, right? No, but really, it's, all, it's always about Torah and mitzvot and inspiration. And there's always going to be a spiritual angle. You're never going to just get a, you know, just a physical experience. It's always about, you know, the soul as well. And, and so that's the point. You have, what I'm saying is the parallel between Ten Commandments and Torah is, is in a similar way. Ten Commandments are the core. The Torah is the elaboration. But the point is the elaboration must always be in proximity to the core. Otherwise, your elaboration keeps on going, 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 and at some point might get disconnected. And now it's like, well, what is this? What I'm really trying to say is when you move so far away from your center, you run the risk of diluting or losing your messaging entirely and then the question is, so then what are you actually about? Then what is this? Is this even Judaism? I mean, is this Rabbi? even, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That's another good thing about the event, because it shows us that 
we integrate the principles in our enjoyable daily life and makes the enjoyable daily life more enjoyable. So it's not just we're doing, we're doing the religion now and we did it and that's it. Beautiful. Now you're speaking like a Chabadnik. That's a perfect, now you're speaking the Chabad language. The ultimate is the integration between the core and the adaptation, elaboration, whatever. In other words, it's always about being authentic. Maybe that's the best word I could use, the best word that I could think of right now, is being authentic. In whatever we're doing, is does that core authenticity, does that thread of truth run through it or not? Is it connected or disconnected? That's the question. Well, that's what these 18 months of noontime study have helped me realize and do well and, thank you, you. Know, and yeah thank listen i just want to say this all you guys i mean the amount of hours of torah study that y'all have clocked i mean that we've clocked together is just is incredible if you think about i mean do the math you know each session is approximately an hour give or take i mean there's a lot of hours of torah study we're talking about hundreds of hours of torah study of authentic Torah study and elaboration and adaptation and some bad jokes along the way, always bad jokes, you know, because that's what keeps it painful. <laughs> There's got to be some suffering also, you know, Jewish suffering. No, but it's like, <laughs> thank you, Sarah. So it's like, it's, it's all about understanding what is the core so that we know what we're doing when we're out there in the world. And so what I'm trying to share with you is really... I think I said this as I started, this is how the Rebbe explains Moses, almost his final action. I mean, one of his final actions. He writes the scroll, the Torah, the, the, the Torah scroll. He gives it to the Levites. He says to the Levites, place it by the ark. Why? Like, what's the point? Can't we put a cabinet somewhere? I mean, let's put a, let's put a, um, I don't know. Well, we call it in synagogue, we call it an ark, but... He didn't mean the Torah Ark. He meant the Ark of the Covenant Ark. But put it right outside that Ark. Why, why does it have to be there? To show that your elaboration, your expansion, always must be grounded and rooted in your core. Always be true to essence. Be true to who you really are. Be true to, to what's really authentic in your life. And then you can go, you can, you can go and flourish and, and adapt and expand, but it's always going to be authentic. It's kind of like um, it's like a tree. As long as the roots are plugged in, right, it can grow and flourish and, and give fruit and everything and there's no risk. Um, the other example that I've given before is a fish, a kosher fish. I, I said, you've heard me say this before. The sign of a kosher fish is that it has to have fins and scales. Fins is ambition. Fi sorry. Fins is what propels the fish forward, which is the idea of ambition and movement and growth and, and flexibility and all this stuff, you know, adaptation. It's about adapting and, and growing and thriving in different environments. Wonderful. But it's still not kosher unless it has the scales. And the scales refer to integrity. Scales are like the armor of integrity that says, look, as, as much as I'm moving and shaking and doing all these things, but I still have my core values. I'm not selling out my core values because once I cut the line between, you know, between those two places, then I'm no longer, but then, 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 then I've cut the line and that, that itself is, is problematic. So then what do I have? 
And I'm sure all this, uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm elaborating a little too much, but I hope this makes sense. Okay, so that's what Moses says to the Levites. Take the scroll and place it along the side of the ark, and it will be there as a witness. For I know Moses now also kind of digs in in a loving way. For I know, oh, one second, it looks like my connection is unstable. Can you guys still hear me? Yes. Okay. For I know your rebellious spirit and your stubbornness. Moses says, I know you guys for a long time now. I knew your parents. I remember you when you were babies, right? This is 40 years later. I know you for a long time, and I know that you have this streak of rebelliousness um, and stubbornness. Even while I am alive with you today, you are rebelling against the Lord. And surely after my death, that's kind of uh, stinging. Even while I am alive with you today, you are rebelling against the Lord. And surely after my death, so Mo Moses says, I know you guys, assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, and I will speak these words into their ears, and I will call upon the heaven and earth as witnesses against them. Again, this is the same song that is upcoming next week's Torah portion. There's been a lot of teasing, and not teasing, teasing, but like a lot of talk, a lot of chatter about preview. pre previewing, preview. a lot of previewing of next week's Torah portion. Once again, assemble me the leaders. I'm going to teach them this song, these words, this song in their ears, and I will call upon heaven and earth as witnesses. That's literally how next week's Torah portion begins. Listen, heavens, and listen, earth. That's exactly what Moses does, calls upon heaven and earth as witnesses because they will be around. The same planets and the same earth has been around since Moses' times today. Not the same people, not the same plants, you know, maybe the same ancient sea turtles, maybe, but the same mountains and the same sun has been around. Moses stood under that sun. We stand under that sun. Moses walked this earth. We walked this earth. The same stuff, heaven and earth, so they become the witnesses that will be around to say, yeah, he kind of told you so that that was going to happen if that happened. We were there. Then we're here now. Th those are your witnesses. For I know, Moses says, for I know that after my death, you will surely become corrupted and deviate from the way which I commanded you. Consequently, as we've said many times, the evil will befall you at the end of days because you did not the end end of days, but ultimately because you did evil in the eyes of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke into the ears of the entire assembly of Israel the words of the following song until their completion. What song? You guessed it. Next week's Torah portion. The much anticipated song of Hazinu. That closes out today. And again, I, I understand you might say that this is a bit depressing, right? God and Moses both, you know, kind of uh, um, uh, uh, predicting a negative turn of events. But look, it happened. It's not like they were wrong. We're literally in exile for 2,000 years. I mean, it's like we're literally in that space. So they weren't wrong. They were being honest. And if anything, it was, it's, it's to encourage good behavior, not to make us despondent, not to make us depressed, but to encourage positive behavior and also to remind us of the big idea, which somehow I feel like gets glossed over in this. The big idea is, yeah, even after it gets bad, you're coming back, you, we will come back, and it will be good again. And that's really, that's, 
That's what we got. Now, the oh yeah, well we had that a few weeks ago, if you recall. But also, let me let me do a little cheating over here and click on Deuteronomy, and then choose Hazinu, and pull it up. Torah reading. I, I don't want to give too much away for next week, but the first thing he does is he calls upon heaven and earth. Listen, O heavens, let the earth hear. So he calls upon heaven and earth as witnesses. And, uh, and it goes and goes and goes. And it talks about the good. It talks about the bad. But ultimately, in the song, the song is the story of the Jewish people. Ultimately, the song, um, let's see where it gets good. Hold on. No. I think, I think in the sixth row, all the way at the end, it talks about the good stuff. Sing out praise, you nations, for his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, inflict revenge upon his adversaries, and appease his land and his people. In other words, ultimately, again, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but ultimately the message here is that it does get good again. So that's, that's, that's what, we, that's what we've, we've always had that promise. Just like we had the promise that if we don't behave, it won't be good. We had the promise and the assurance that at some point, amidst the challenges, we'll wake up and say, we're back. And at that point, we're done. We're good. We're back. We're back. If we're back, then we're back. All right, so that's it for today. So what's the message? You know, I, I kind of want to go back to the beginning of what I said yesterday, because to me, that's kind of like the theme. And, and I want to tie together a few themes so just bear with me for some final thoughts before Shabbos. Number one, Moses, to the very last day of his life, was moving and shaking. He never retired. He never took it easy. He never took a personal day. He was working to the end on behalf of his people out of love and concern. And the message for us is, let's keep on working. I don't mean like the nine to five job. I mean, also that, fine. You got to make a living, whatever. But I don't mean like become a workaholic. I mean like in the good stuff, in the good areas. Never stop growing. What did I see recently? Oh, whatever. I'm not going to share the whole thought. It's going to take too long. But just basically, if we're not growing, then by definition, we are diminishing. That's the way it is. It's almost like the escalator of life is moving down. And if we stand still, we're just going to go down. That's the way it works. Don't ask me why. I didn't, I didn't write the script. I didn't, I didn't uh, design this, uh, this thing called life. But that's the way it is. If we're not moving forward, we're inevitably moving backwards. If we're not growing, we are inevitably eroding. So the message, number one, is always growing, always moving, always shaking. No vacations from meaning, from spirituality, from God, from Judaism, from Torah, from mitzvot. No vacations we got to stay plugged in. Not in a negative way, but in a positive way, a loving way, authentic way, a truthful way. That's message number one that I'm taking from this. Moses keeps on moving, keeps on growing, keeps on being active. It's a beautiful message. And then I want to share one more thing. Last week's Torah portion was Nitzavim. Nitzavim. And the beginning of the portion, if you recall, Moses gathers together all the people on the last day of his life, and he enters them into the covenant, the third iteration of the covenant, but everyone's together as one. Unity. And we always read that portion before Rosh Hashanah, right? Last week's Torah portion before Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah, we stand together and we, we accept God as king over us, but it has to be done 
together because if the nation is fragmented, you'll have two kings. So the nation has to be united in its acceptance of God. So we have to be united. That was last week's Torah portion. The same thing is true for Yom Kippur, right? Because this Shabbat is the Shabbat preceding Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is also a day of unity. The unity is even a deeper level of unity. Without going into the details, um, when it comes to action, everyone does things differently. But when it comes to inaction, we do things the same. Does that make sense what I just said? Let me explain what I mean. When it comes to eating lunch, everyone's got a different lunch. But when it comes to not eating lunch, everyone doesn't eat lunch the same way. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Let me, exp- let me explain one more time. Yom Kippur is a fast day. And when we're fasting, we're all doing it the same. Right? If it's a day of eating, well, you have your menu, I have my menu, this, that. But when it's the negation of the food, we all negate it in an equivalent fashion. So the do nots are done the same. So the bottom line is, Yom Kippur is a day that brings us all together in a very deep way. See, Rosh Hashanah, we accept God as king, but everyone has different feelings about it. So even though we're standing together, but one person understands this and feels that, etc. But Yom Kippur, we're not doing things. We're not eating. We're not drinking. We're not wearing leather shoes. We're not, etc. That we do equally, or don't do equally. Yom Kippur is a day of unity. And to precipitate, to get ready for Yom Kippur, we read this week's Torah portion that we just went through over the last two days. And we have the final two mitzvot of the Torah that all speak to Jewish unity. Number one, hakel. Remember mitzvah 6.12? The gathering of the people, men, women, and children, after the sabbatical year? Well, what's that about? Gathering everyone together, unity. And what about writing a Torah scroll? Again, the same idea of unity. We all participate in the writing of a Torah scroll equally. right? You can commission a Torah, buy a letter in a Torah, whatever it is, but it's an equal part in the Torah. We all are represented by letters in the Torah. The point is, these final two mitzvot of the Torah evoke the sense of unity and community, where different people come together, not just as one, but as a brand new entity, an entity of a kahal, of a kehila, of a community that transcends the, the sum of the parts. The, the whole is greater than the sum of, the, of its parts. So my blessing for all of us. It's a, it's, I'm really speaking to myself, and I thank you for listening, but I'm really uh, speaking personally. It's that may we enter the Shabbat, which is the Shabbat between the, the holidays, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's known as Shabbat Shuvah. It's the Shabbat of return. May we enter the Shabbat with a sense of love for each other, a sense of unity and community, and a sense that we are stronger, much stronger when we are together. All of these could be slogans, but they're real, real messages for real life. And we know the effects of disunity. It looks like the world around us when everyone's at each other's throats and it seems like society is crumbling, not because of anything else other than people can't have any civil discourse with each other. And so it becomes like a war. And sometimes you just want to duck. It's like, you guys done already? It's like, yeah. We should be part of the solution, not the problem. Let's us embrace the Torah's message of peace and unity that's born of love, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it. Unity and love is, is what heals us individually,
communally, globally, and what brings Mashiach. One final point. The second temple was destroyed, not because of idolatry or immorality or murder. That was the first temple. The second temple was destroyed, as you know, we've discussed it many times, because we didn't get along with each other. The temple will be rebuilt when we learn how to love each other. So let's start today, because the clock is ticking. I said before Mashiach is coming by the end of the day, that's it. We, we, got, we, got, we got to start loving. More loving, less hating. That's my message for myself and, uh, and for all of us. All right, thanks for being part of DPP. Um, and we'll see you, please God, Monday. We should Monday. be back. Monday, yeah, we're back Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday is Erev Yom Kippur. Wednesday, very likely not. You know what? Let me just call Wednesday as a not day because it's too close to the holiday. So we'll do, we'll do Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday, not. And then we'll do Friday. So we'll have three days next week of DBP. And uh, they're going to be very exciting because we're going to finally get to learn this song that we've been teasing this whole week. The song that talks about everything that's going to happen, that needs to be written and needs to be sung, needs to be memorized, needs to be remembered. Heaven and earth, what's the song about? You kind of know the song by now, but we'll sing it again next week. All right, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Wishing you a loving, warm Shabbat. Take care. We'll see you guys very soon in good health. Rabbi, Rabbi yes. Ari, what about Sunday? Do we have Torah studies on Sunday? Sunday, yes, yeah, thank you for reminding me. Yes, thank you. Okay, good. So Sunday morning, there was a mistake, and Sandrine pointed this out in the email. There was a, a bit of a kerfuffle with the weekly email that went out, the Chabad, well, at least the Chabad in town weekly email, where it had the wrong times. And the, so we're, my plan is Kabbalah and coffee Sunday morning at 9.30 as usual, 9.30 to 11. And then Sunday evening, we're, we'll be doing the second high holiday boot camp slash Torah studies on Yom Kippur, Sunday evening, 7.30. Um, let me just double-check something very quickly. And what I want to double-check is to make sure that the in-town Jewish Academy website has that correct, which I believe it does, but I just want to verify for myself and my own sanity. Let's see what we have. Sunday, September 12th. Good. Sunday, September 12th, 7.30 p.m. I'll send out an email reminder to everybody that, that's, on the, that's on that list. Um, to remind with, with the link and whatever. We'll be doing it in person or on Zoom. And, well, and on Zoom, both options. But yeah, we're on Sunday for Yom Kippur. But thanks for reminding me. Person and Zoom. Yeah, 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 yeah. In person and on Zoom. All right, good. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Yeah, you're on the list. Ray, oh, okay. you're, you're always on the list. Ray, I want to tell you something. You are the list. You are the list. What do you mean? There's no list. It's like the list is like a template. You know what I mean? Like you have a template and then you add to it. There's like the list. You're on the list. You, you made the list. You made the cut. We had to squeeze you in at the end, but you made it at the last. Ray, you're, you're, you're in good hands. All right. We'll see you all. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Lots of love. Good health and blessings. We'll see you soon. Shabbat shalom.